Food, restaurants, chefs, and farmers, welcome to REITS Radio, brought to you by Waterloo Region Eats. I'm Andrew Coppolino. It's a popular beverage at this time of the year, champagne. But is it a drink for only festive and special occasions? We're visiting Langdon Hall today to get some insight into the question with sommelier Brie Demma. This is episode 12. Demma is a sommelier at Langdon Hall in Cambridge. She has her diploma from the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. She's a certified sommelier in the Court of Master Sommeliers, and she is an Italian wine ambassador with the Vin Italy International Academy. Thanks for uh, welcoming me to the beautiful Langdon Hall. As always, uh, always a pleasure to be here. Happy to host you. You've been here how long now? Uh, I've been here for two years. Uh, it's been fantastic. Um, the Langdon Hall Wine Program is second to none. Uh, it's, it's been great to work with it. Where are you from? Where, what's a little bit of your background, just so, so people get to know you? Yeah, I'm Kitchener, Kitchener Waterloo, born and raised. Um, I got to ask what high school you went to. Ah, uh, KCI. KCI. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I spent about eight years with the charcoal group um, of restaurants, so got a lot of local restaurant experience there. And so you then, know the region pretty well then for yeah, all I've, of that. Yeah, I've been in the restaurant scene, scene here yeah. for a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, what do you do here at Langdon? Tell me what the sort of the the day-to-day job is of a sommelier at Langdon Hall? Of course. Um, Well, so I'm the head sommelier here at Langdon Hall. Um, We have a team of four. Um, This includes everything from uh, working with our beverage director, Faye McLaughlin, uh, to curate the list, Um, seller duties, of course, which are the the less glamorous um, aspects of hauling and and stacking wine. Um, And then, of course, the uh, on the floor duties of a sommelier, so working with the chefs and the menu and um, helping match uh, the perfect wine to the, to the guest experience. Well, I think for a lot of people that sounds like an ideal, glorious dream job. It's I can't think fun. of anything. <laughs> You're yeah. very, very fortunate to have it, and to have it in such a lovely setting have been in many times, and it's just such a, it's just such a wonderful place. The atmosphere, just the sort of the, the feeling you get by sitting amongst all of this, this history, and, yes, and yeah. um, I, I don't even say luxury. It's so comfortable and relaxed in that sort of country style, but it's just a beautiful it's a magical So place. it must be wonderful to drive up that driveway every day and then end up in these great environs. It's, it's an absolutely an honor. Yeah, absolutely an honor. Well, I'm interested in champagne. Uh, I'm interested in a lot of wine, and mm-hmm. but champagne specifically is something that's kind of intriguing, I guess, because it's sort of it's sort of mysterious and it sort of has an aristocratic kind of temper to it. But tell me what your impressions are of champagne and I guess sparkling wine in general. Sure, of course. Um, I think champagne has long been positioned as the most prestigious sparkling wine in the world. Um, and that's, I think, a fairly undisputed um, title for it. It has an exceptionally long history, um, dating back to really the 1700s is, is when the British got a taste for uh, the fizz. Mm. And um, the developments of the 1700s and 1800s led to um, Champagne being able to market and position itself as uh, kind of a celebratory drink and a, a prestigious drink. Um, and this led into uh, the Belle Epoque in France, where, um, of course, in the 1900s, uh, men would drink champagne out of women's shoes in salons, and it had this, this air about it. And that's really when it went from being a beverage to being a lifestyle, and to being something that uh, the major champagne houses were um, marketing as such. Um, being the prestigious uh, drink that it is, it's definitely seen its ups and downs. Um, it's subject to economic downturn, 
Um, so through the Great Depression and the World Wars, it definitely suffered, um, not just because of where it was positioned in the world in that it was literally, uh, the city of Rams was literally being bombed um, that, that's during a the prime, wars. a prime department or section of Champagne yes, yes, from of which a lot of great bottles are produced, I guess. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So the uh, city of Rem is located in the Montagne de Rem, uh, kind of the more northerly um, part of the Appalachian. Um, a long history, again, of uh, being actually where French kings were coronated um, and uh, suffered, it was almost destroyed during World War I. Um, what did survive actually were the cellars underneath the city. Mm-hmm. Um, Sneaky. Huh? Yes, where where not only did the, the champagne survive, but often the citizens of the city would go to to hide and to oh. live and to to wait out the war. Um, so this history is is just simply fascinating, but um, it shows the resilience of the people in how they view their lives and how they actually market their wines as well. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, so post World War II, Champagne, I think, had the opportunity to once again position itself uh, as a luxury good, and it did so with um, things like celebrity endorsement and again that marketing that they were so so efficient at and so known for, um, and this led to how we uh, see Champagne today. And where do you think it sits right now? I mean, I always, uh, I guess, see it as a special occasion thing, but. You know, is that waxing and waning? Does that come and go? Do you see it as more of a? Is it a drink now that people are drinking more? Oh, is sparkling wine before dinner as a sort of a starter before? It seems like an excellent way to start a really nice meal. It's a great way to start a meal. It's a great way to carry on throughout a meal, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, I think sparkling wine is seeing a massive resurgence in popularity. Um, in fact, it, not even a rebirth because I, I think it's it's simply just becoming stepping into its own. Mm-hmm. Um, Champagne is still associated with that prestige. Uh, simply, the price tag will always be um, in that upper uh, um, price point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you're not going to get a cheap Rolls Royce. You're not going to get cheap champagne. Exactly, right, exactly. So in that respect, I think it's still viewed as a bit of a celebratory drink. Mm-hmm. But sparkling wine as a category, I think, is, is growing mm-hmm. rapidly um, and has every right to. And there's some great sparkling wine in the world made that... Uh, mm-hmm is accessible and comes at accessible price points. Well, I hope we can talk a little bit about that later, but um, to look at the, uh, where it is in the scale right now, champagne, but what is it? What, what, what is the essence of champagne? How is it made? Sure. Of course. Yeah. That is a, that is the magic. I think that, uh, it's so easy to love. Um, so champagne, uh, as a wine producing region has been around, uh, since the fifth century, the Romans really were the first to plant vines there. Um, and they did make wine. Um, However, it would have been still wine. And so champagne, sparkling wine, was actually something that they were trying to avoid. Um, so the action of making wine, uh, yeast uh, consume the uh, sugars in the grape juice and convert uh, that to alcohol and carbon uh, dioxide. And so this is the bubbles, the effervescence. Um, so this, this process would happen naturally. However, since champagne is so far north, um, their climate, it gets so cold in the wintertime that the cellars will actually get so cold that the yeast will go dormant and fall asleep. And so the secondary fermentation, the bubbling, that began again in the spring um, when these wines were maybe shipped in barrel to the British market. Um, so for you know the first few months of the springtime, the Brits would be drinking this frothy wine and they got a taste for it. So this is how the process um, really came about. So it was an accident. It was a, kind of an accident and um, somewhat undesirable for, you know, for through the 1700s. 
Um, it was really the development of British, stronger British glass uh, bottles to be able to contain the bubbles and not uh, explode in the cellar that allowed these wines to be enjoyed um, year-round. And so in 1928, uh, there was a ban that was lifted uh, allowing the champagne farmers to transport their wines in glass bottles. And that's really when the big houses settled in and started to um, capitalize on this newfound love for And then wine. I guess that, that would determine the, that method or champagne method of making exactly. wine with the turn and all the regular exactly. freezing of the plug and removal of the lees and stuff. Exactly. These are all developments that came about in the 1700s. Um, different people, Dom Perignon was uh, the the monk uh, at Hautevillers, the Abbey de Hautevillers, that uh, uh, he, he pioneered or really um, understood what it was to make a clear wine from red grapes, the mm -hmm. Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier grapes. Uh, he also introduced the art of blending to make a more complex wine. Um, Madame Clicquot was the, you know, and her, one of her employers was responsible for the riddling rack, mm -hmm. which allowed uh, the winemaker to essentially um, remove the yeast from, or settle the yeast from uh, the bottle so that it could be served as a clear wine, um, which is desirable. So when we drink Vouve and, um, and uh, Dom, those really are historical figures and uh, important um, developments and evolutions in the drink itself. They're absolutely. not just marketing brands, are they? Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of history there, for sure, absolutely. Um, Yes, Dom Perignon is a kind of accredited as being the, the father of champagne, but for a long time, again, he was, he was fighting against the, the sparkling wines. Yeah, he was trying yeah, to just make a nice yeah, still yeah, wine. Yeah. It's kind of ironic. Um, so that's champagne, and it, it can only be called champagne if it fits the criteria, having been grown, grapes grown in that region, et cetera, et cetera, according to marketing and, and uh, I guess, uh, laws of France, correct? Correct. So, yes. What about sparkling wine then? It's it's something that we find all over the world um, and it really, in essence, there isn't anything that much different from it except where the grapes come from, I guess. There are, uh, there are different um, production methods. So, we're no longer allowed to use the term method champenois um, because the champagne owned that term. Uh, the, the champagne owned that term now. Um, so, we would call it the traditional method or the method traditionnel. Um, and this is the wine that is made most similarly styled to champagne. So the secondary fermentation happens in the bottle. Um, it's uh, aged for um, some amount of time on its lees, which is the, the yeast cells that are in the bottle before um, disgorgement, before the, they, they take the yeast out. Um, so you'll find this style of wine uh, in the Cremant wines of France. Um, so this is a wine that's... Cremant. Cremant is, um, it's, it's a style of wine, a champagne style wine that's made not in the region of Champagne. Oh, okay. So Cremant de Bourgogne, oh, Dalsace, okay. uh, Cremant de Loire. Um, so you'll find a similarly styled wine there. Uh, traditional method wines internationally, uh, you'll find the wines of Franciacorta in uh, Lombardia in Italy mm -hmm. are made in a similar style. Um, or Oltrepo Pavese, which is a little bit more rare in our market, unfortunately, but it's another mm -hmm. Lombardia. Um, wine appellation and of course we make beautiful sparkling wines here um, in Ontario that are done in the traditional method um, actually our northerly climate really uh, almost mimics that of champagne in some ways and I think that we have great success with with that style of wine. Tell me about um, what, what are some of the qualities that that people should look for um, what what are, the, what are the ranges that are offered in sparkling wines and how would you recommend people who maybe don't have a great deal of 
experience buying it, what, what they're going to get, what they should look for, sort of the other softer, there's less bubbly, there's sure, of course. more toasty, less toasty. Sure, of course. And it's, it's interesting because um, house styles of champagne do vary um, quite a bit. So one of the fun aspects of learning more about the category is to explore them by tasting them and finding the ones you like. Mm -hmm. um, I think as a broad... Uh, broad Generalization, champagne is always expected to have a little bit more of a creamier mousse, um, a little bit more of the biscuity, bready character, um, and uh, be quite precise on the palate, quite finessed. Um, if you look at a wine like Prosecco from Italy, um, it's not made in the same method where it's a little bit more fruity, uh, the bubbles are a little bit bigger, um, it's a little bit, uh, it, it definitely doesn't have that yeasty complexity. It's, it's mostly just fruits and flowers in the glass. Um, Ontario sparkling wines I find tend to mimic the champagne style. So depending on the producer, um, I'll take for example Cave Springs Blanc de Blanc. Uh, you get a beautiful biscuity character, uh, almost like a brioche and a vanilla, and then um, a nice uh, apple, uh, crisp apple note from the, the Chardonnay grape as well. What do you like best about champagne? What if, uh, as someone who gets to probably drink more than most people in terms of sampling it and picking selections and comparing it to other alcohol beverages such as wine or port or whatever sure, gin, whatever sure. it might be, what where does champagne fit on your scale and what is the thing that really that really speaks to you? I guess in it, I think that. There's something so ethereal and, and just magical about drinking the bubbles of champagne. I heard a, a quote once that uh, it's like drinking the stars, and I, I really fell in love with that. Um, it can be as complex uh, a wine as any I've tasted. Um, it can age beautifully and uh, evolve. Uh, and I think that, yeah, it's just that ethereal experience of drinking um, something that's so fleeting coming out of the glass as a uh, uh, sparkling wine. And yet, something that probably started almost as an accident. Exactly. <laughs> what a fortunate accident. <laughs> yeah, that's the way good way of putting it, and a good way of ending up this. I'm Bree Demma. Thanks very much for uh, taking the time to tell us a little bit about the champagne, the drink, and uh, your, your impressions of it. Oh, thank you very much. Bye for now. Bye.